Okay, so we're carrying on our series that we're doing at the moment, uh, which we'll be doing through the autumn, where we're following through the chapters in this book called Gentle and Lowly, uh, where it really is looking at the heart of Jesus. And it's about us trying to get to know Jesus for who he really is and unpick and unpack a little bit more of, of the character of Jesus so that our love for him can grow. Uh, Now, I just want to first of all ask you a question. Have you heard of the condition called imposter syndrome? Is that something that you've come across and you've heard? Yes. If you haven't, then basically what it is is described as it's it's when you have a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Okay, so a kind of situation that you're in that you think, hang on, I'm in this situation, but if everybody really knew, then they'd just see me for the fraud that I think I am. Yep. How many people ever feel like you're in that sort of situation sometimes in your life? Quite a few. There you go. Let me tell you one slightly kind of frivolous kind of uh, situation in my life when I felt definitely like an imposter. So back in high school, I, um, many of you, it's a hidden talent, but I, I, used, I played the trumpet in the school orchestra. Okay. Now, I wasn't particularly keen on practicing my trumpet at home. Mainly because once I practiced it at home, and it's a very loud instrument, isn't it? And one of the neighbors later remarked that they thought they heard a herd of elephants walking down the street. And to be honest, that left me feeling fairly self-conscious. So that kind of quite quickly put a stop to me practicing ever at home. So as you'd imagine, if you don't practice a musical instrument, you don't really get very good at it, do you? So I just about scraped grade three at the trumpet, and that was kind of where my development finished. But I did play um, with a couple of mates. We played in the school orchestra. We were first trumpets in the school orchestra. Um, And I mainly did it because I was with a couple of mates, and we had quite a laugh. Most of the time, it was by winding the first clarinets up, who were some girls who sat in front of us and would kick their chairs at moments when they're playing and stuff like that. Um, you know, it was, and, but it was just basically a bit of a laugh. And we went on a few tours like around Normandy and stuff like that. So I was more in it for that side of things than I was for my musical expertise. Um, but you imagine, because I didn't ever practice and get very good, my playing ability was quite limited. So probably about 50% of the time I was miming as opposed to absolutely playing. Um, and I was always in fear in practice of the teacher saying, right, oh, can we, the first trumpets just play their bit, or maybe each one of you can just play the bit on your own. Because I just knew at that moment I'd be exposed as a completely fraudulent trumpet player. Um, so this is like a public kind of confession, but that's definitely where I've suffered from imposter syndrome. I knew I had this internalized fear that at some point I was going to be exposed as a complete fraud as a trumpet player. Now, that's quite a frivolous thing, but I think for many of us as Christians that we can also suffer with an element of imposter syndrome. We regularly have the thought that we're a bit of a fraud as a Christian. We don't pray enough. We don't read our Bible enough. We don't show hospitality to strangers, and we don't show unconditional love to others around us enough. Do you, do you, do you sometimes, you don't have to put your hand up, but do you feel like that sometimes, that you think, actually, I am a Christian, but there's something inside of me that feels that actually I'm not really probably good enough. And if everybody really knew, then they would think I was a bit of a fraud as well. We all feel a bit like that. I feel a bit like that at times as well. And worst of all, most of us have a nagging feeling that if Jesus really knew me fully, then he would reject me as well. He would look and think, hang on, you're not really the real deal at all. Let me give you a quote from the chapter we're looking at today in the book where Dane Orland says this. He says, fallen, anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. We are factories of fresh resistances to Christ's love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, 
such as specific sins or failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. It's true, I think, for a lot of us, isn't it? We kind of feel that even if we can't think of an exact reason why Jesus should kick us out of being a Christian, then actually there's this sense that, you know, he'll finally grow tired of us and he'll hold us at arm's length. I think a lot of us feel like that at certain times. But the reality is that's the last thing we should feel as Christians. And today we're just going to unpack a little bit of why that is the case. So our verse for today comes from John chapter 6 and verse 37. It's the words of Jesus. He's speaking to his disciples and it's a short verse and he just says this, all that the father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. All that the father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That's the words of Jesus. So what's he talking about here? What's the the kind of context? Because we always have to look at the context of what Jesus is saying rather than just kind of pulling verses out on their own. Well, the topic he's addressing here is the issue of salvation, what we call salvation. So it's that whole sense of how can mankind be saved? How can we enter into God's kingdom? How can we enter into heaven when we die? He's looking at this whole topic of salvation. And what he's, what he's kind of trying to outline here is that mankind is lost in sin. Some of those verses that were read out earlier on in our worship time kind of talk about that, don't they? The fact that mankind generally is born into a situation where we're lost in sin, which means we live for ourselves, we don't live for God, our hearts are against God rather than for them here naturally. And that separates us from a relationship with God. So the majority of people living in the world Unless they have put their faith in Jesus, they are lost. They're lost in sin and they're separated from a relationship with God. So what Jesus is saying is that through his death and resurrection, he defeated sin and death, those things that separate us from God, and and therefore made it possible for us to re-enter into a relationship with God the Father ourselves. So through faith in Jesus, we can receive forgiveness for the stuff that we've done wrong before God, And we can receive the gift of eternal life. That's what we talk about when we talk about salvation. And when Christians talk about being saved from something, that's what we've been saved on. We've been saved from that sin that separates us from God. And we've been saved from an eternal life separate from God as a result of that sin. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, it describes the process of us becoming a Christian or the result of us becoming a Christian as we're now in Christ. So, You'll read through, if you read through the New Testament, some of the letters that are written uh, by uh, Paul and some of the other apostles, he would talk about people who are Christians as being those of us who are in Christ. He talks about being in Christ, not just like we know about Christ or those of us who have, have, who have read about him or listened to things about him, but no, people who are in Christ. There's something in the spiritual realm that he talks about has happened when we become Christians. And in various places in the New Testament, when you think about this salvation concept, this idea of becoming in Christ, it talks about it in three different ways. It talks about something that has happened. So in Ephesians 2, for example, it says, for grace, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. So when we become a Christian, when we take that first moment of saying, okay, I realize I need a savior. I realize that I'm lost. I'm separate from God. And I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. That moment, there's something happens. There's an interaction where we are saved. There's a moment there where we have found some salvation 
in Christ. We're in Christ in that moment. But it also goes, goes on in other places, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, and by which you're being saved. There's an element where we have been saved, but we're also being saved as well. There's an ongoing dimension to our salvation. And then also further on, Jesus says in Matthew 24 that their salvation is something that will happen in the future as well. He says that the one who endures to the end will be saved. So salvation isn't just like getting a ticket from God. You know, you you kind of say a prayer, you get a ticket. Well, I've got my ticket to heaven. I can now just carry on and live life how I was before. But I've got my ticket. I've got the golden ticket. It's not like kind of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. When you get the golden ticket, that's great. You've got it. You've got the ticket to the chocolate factory. You don't need to do anything else. The Bible talks about this concept of us being in Christ as something that has happened, is happening, and will happen as well in the end. It's a dynamic kind of thing that goes on. One way to imagine this whole concept of salvation, a picture, if, as it were, if you put it, that Jesus offers to us is to think of life being like a massive storm at sea, where all of mankind is naturally in that sea. The storm is raging, the waves are high, and people are thrashing around in the waves. And if you think about those waves being like the sin that we're born into, this separation from God, that's kind of what mankind is like. People don't realize it because they're just going about life and living normally. But spiritually, they're in this storm of sin. And the only way to be saved from drowning in this state is to get into the lifeboat that's called Jesus Christ. Imagine there's this massive lifeboat there. And, you know, it's a, it's a picture, but imagine the lifeboat is just called Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, if you're in the lifeboat, then you are rescued from that storm. So that's what this verse, our verse today, is talking about, this whole topic of salvation. It's talking about how we can escape the storm of sin, how we can find our salvation in Christ. And it directly kind of addresses some of those nagging feelings that we have about our Christian imposter kind of syndrome. This sense where sometimes we think, am I really good enough? You know, is Jesus just going to grow tired of me? Am I going to be exposed to be kind of the weak, kind of fragile, feeble Christian that I think I am, but other people don't necessarily think I am as well? So what Jesus is saying in our verse here is that everybody who comes to him for salvation, everyone who jumps into the lifeboat that is Jesus Christ, he will never throw them out of the boat. That's simply what he's saying in this verse here. He's saying that everybody that comes to me, whoever the Father gives to me, whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. He's never going to grow tired of you. He's never going to think, hang on, there's not enough space in this boat. We need to chuck a few off. Or, you know, the ship's kind of listing to one side. We need to get rid of a few people. They're not really very good Christians. Let's get rid of them. Make space with some people who might be better Christians. There's never a moment that that happens. Jesus says, I will never cast you out. If you come to him in genuine repentance and faith, then he will never reject you. Even if you mess up in the future, you make mistakes or bad decisions, he will never cast you out. What we're looking at this morning is a promise from the lips of Jesus himself that's recorded for us, for us to be encouraged by, to be strengthened by, and to find amazing peace and comfort in. It's a promise from Jesus that we can cling on to. That if we have genuinely come to him in faith and repentance and we're genuinely in Christ, he will never cast us away. In Dane Orland in his book says this, For those united to him, the heart of Jesus is not like living in a rental property. 
It is, in fact, your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant. You are a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and the still waters of endless reassurances of his presence and comfort. Whatever our spiritual accomplishments, it is who he is. That's amazing, isn't it? That should bring us amazing sense of comfort that when we come to Jesus, it's not this kind of temporary thing. If he has enough of us, is it, you know, oh, it's on a knife edge. He will never cast us out. So why do we so often suffer with Christian imposter syndrome? Those of you who either put your hand up or think you should have put your hand up, but didn't want to put your hand up in case people did see that you think struggling with the things that you think you're struggling with, but you don't want anyone to know, you're probably, you know, self-selected into that straight away. But why do we struggle with this? Why do we as Christians often struggle with this sense of an imposter syndrome? I think for a few reasons. Firstly, I think it's because we don't truly know Jesus's heart towards us a lot of the time. I think we, we, have, we so often look at what Jesus has done for us and is doing for us or we want him to do for us. Now, those things are all true and valid and great. You know, we spend a lifetime looking at what Jesus has done for us. But we often come to him and ask him just to do more stuff for us as well, which isn't wrong at all. He asks us to come to him. He asks us to come and pray and to intervene. But sometimes I think we can just come to Jesus for all that he's done and is doing rather than actually to really understand who he is and to get to know his heart. We can sometimes think, actually, I know a lot about you, Jesus, but I'm not sure how much I really know you. Because if we really knew him, we would never doubt that he would cast us out, would we? Because you think, well, actually, that's, he said that. That's his promise from lips. So even though I might feel like a bit of a fraud at times, and I might feel sometimes thinking, well, actually, I'm not good enough. This my second thought straight away should be, yeah, but I know Jesus, and Jesus would never cast me out if I've not prayed enough, or if I've not read my Bible this week, or if I've got really grumpy with people and decided I never want to see another Christian in my life. You know, Jesus is never going to cast me out. He might not say that's okay, and that's fine, carry on in that grumpy kind of way, but he might say, well, actually, I, you know, we need to work on that, but that's not a deal breaker. I'm never going to cast you out for that. Our second thought always should be, no, he never would. Why? Because we know him so well. And I think sometimes we've got so much, even as Christians, as the church, we've got, we, we kind of come to faith and we're, we fall in love with Jesus. And then quite quickly we turn into, what can he do for us? And it's a bit of a Western mindset, I think, which we have to break. We have to dig in and get to know Jesus more and more for ourselves. I think another reason why we struggle with this imposter syndrome is sometimes is that we just project our own experiences onto him, don't we? Maybe you've struggled with rejection in your life. Maybe you've been rejected by people close to you or people that loved you or people that you thought were your friends and suddenly you found they weren't your friends anymore or people that got a bit fed up with you and didn't want to spend any more time with you because they got, we project that onto Jesus, don't we? We have this sense where actually, you know, maybe you just don't really like yourself a whole lot and think, actually, I annoy myself, let alone other people getting annoyed with me. I wouldn't blame Jesus for pushing me away. Or my experience has been that actually after a little while, people do get fed up with me and they don't want to be my friend anymore. Or someone said to me, I'll, spend, I'll walk with you throughout life. And then two months later, I never saw them again. And we project that onto Jesus, don't we? We take our earthly experiences of friendships and relationships and we project them onto Jesus. Well, that's happened to me in life. Therefore, Jesus must be just like that. But that's obviously wrong because Jesus is way above any human kind of frailty in terms of relationships. And we must get to know Jesus for who he is and not project onto him some of our own experiences and issues. 
And thirdly, I think we just haven't really allowed the gospel to sink deep enough into our hearts. I'm more and more struck by this at the moment, that actually we just need to allow the truth of what Jesus has done to really sink into our hearts, that we really have been forgiven for all, all sin before him, that we really have been given new life, new life not just now, but something that goes on into eternity. And that's not just head knowledge. That's not just like, technically, I know that's true. That, that should, when we allow that to sink into our hearts, it really should transform us completely. It should transform how we relate to each other. It should transform how we deal with things and situations and deal with life because we're seeing it through the lens of the gospel all the time. If I've allowed the gospel, the truth of what Jesus has done, really, really to sink deep into my heart, then I've got, then it helps me when I need to forgive people who have wronged me. It helps me when I need to overlook offences that I feel like, oh yeah, it helps me to overlook, it helps me to get life in perspective when I see troubles around me and think, what's the point, where's this all going? And it helps me to frame everything and think, no, but it's about the gospel and the centrality of the gospel and that changes everything because even though the world might be falling apart, Jesus will one day come back and restore it and and bring in his kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. And the gospel changes how we view all of life. But I don't think for many many of us, we've allowed that really, really to sink deep into our hearts. Really to sink deep on a daily basis to change us. And therefore, one of the outcomes is that we often just rule ourselves out all the time. We think I'm a bit of a fraud. I'm not good enough. But when we really get hold of the truth of what Jesus has done, we shouldn't ever think like that. We won't naturally think like that because we realize what he's done and how that's changed everything about us. A.W. Tozer, who was a, an American sort of writer and, and church leader um, many years ago, wrote this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. I think that's really profound. I remember reading that many, many years ago and being struck by that. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God? It's the most important question that you could ever answer because it will shape how you respond and how you live your life. And if for all of us, none of us have a complete picture of God, which is why we need to give our lives to digging deep into the Bible, into understanding him more, into walking with him and growing. Because the more we have a clearer view of him, the easier it will shape our lives. Not in circumstances, but in our walk with him. It helps us to avoid the minefields that are put down for us to blow up our relationship with God. You know, even at this kind of current time, we've had a strange old 18 months, haven't we? And I think we're still going to have many strange months ahead of us. You know, even for us as a local church, everything's been thrown up in the air and churches everywhere. We can't meet in the same way. We're, things have happened and we've not had the same contact with each other. And even for us as a church, you know, we've had storms going on and, you know, there's leadership things that we're looking at and changing. And it's easy at the moment to take our eye off the ball, isn't it? We know that it, uh, there's learning to happen. Things that happened, things that haven't happened. We could have done more of this. We could have done this differently. We could have done that. There's loads of learning and things to happen to take place that we need to humbly do, even as leaders, and say, okay, we might have got that a bit wrong there. We might have done, could have done that a bit better. We need to humbly learn that. And we are doing that. And even things within the leadership where we're looking and saying, look, actually, things need to shift a bit. We want to create a different culture. That's all going to happen. But do you know, the, 
hope for us and the hope for our town isn't a fresh vision for the local church, a different leadership structure. It isn't about this happening or that happening. The hope is the gospel. That's what we have to make sure is front and center in all things. We mustn't allow our eyes to be taken off the ball by things that legitimately need to be sorted and looked at and changed. But if we don't have a gospel-centered mindset, then we'll just go off, off track again and again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's why we need to dig deep into who Jesus is, get a deeper understanding of him. Because if we have a clearer view of who he is, then all the other things are important, but they're peripheral. Because our lives are rooted in a real clear picture of who Jesus Christ is. And that transforms us, genuinely transforms us. I'm struck by that myself more and more at the moment. That actually I need a clearer picture of Jesus afresh. Your eyes can get taken off the ball. You, get, you miss the point sometimes, but we need to come back to this as the central thing. This truth, this promise should renew our minds. We should stop thinking like imposters. We should stop thinking that like, like Jesus is going to reject us. He's going to think different. He's not pleased with us. And instead, come again and again and again. Memorize today's verse. Take it. Just, you know, take that verse and just memorize it to yourself. Whoever comes to me, says Jesus, I will never cast out. When you have doubts this week about whether Jesus is really very pleased with you, or whether he's like had enough of you, or whether he's a bit bored of you now coming again to him saying that you're struggling, or coming again to him saying, I don't get it, what's going on, or I'm upset, or I'm offended. When you think, oh, he must be so bored of me, remind yourself, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What an amazing, amazing promise that really is for us. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, then my encouragement to you is just jump into the lifeboat. It's that simple, really. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save us. No one, we can't save ourselves. We can't live a good life and expect to be saved. It's not about good people won't get into heaven, but forgiven people will get into heaven. That's what Jesus said. And the only way to find forgiveness is by jumping into the boat of Jesus, finding our faith and our salvation in him. Imagine for us all the freedom we would feel if we allowed this truth really to sink deep into our hearts. Imagine how free we would feel if we really allowed that truth just to change us. Mining deeply into Jesus, who he really is and how he feels and acts towards us is transformative. Let's take what we're looking at on these Sundays and really dig them into our lives. Get stuck into the Bible. Allow truth to change us. It's not knowledge. It's got to be heart change, hasn't it? Let's just pray and then we're going to come and take communion together as a way of responding to God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the incredible truth that you've given for us in the Bible. Lord, we want to thank you for the revelation of who you are that you've given to us in this. Lord, we know that we miss the miss the point so often, Lord, that we love you, Lord, we want to follow you, but we know, Lord, that we're a bit hopeless at it most of the time. Lord, and that's not just saying, oh, you know, I'm a worm or I'm hopeless, Lord. It's, it's just, Lord, recognizing our frailty, but recognizing you're amazing. Lord, I thank you that you are the lifeboat for us. And Lord, that as those of us who are in Christ, we know we can have the reassurance that you will never cast us out. Lord, we want to be a people that just grow more and more deeply in you lord we want our lives to be changed more and more by you we want it to be shaped by what you think about us the truth of what you do have done for us the, the knowledge of really getting to know you for who you are 
Lord, we want that to transform us. Lord, we don't just want to live respectable lives. Lord, we want to live lives that are Christ-like. Lord, we want to show your love to the world around us. We want to show your love to our family, our household. Lord, our neighbours, our work colleagues. Lord, we don't want that to be just telling them stuff. We want it to be a life that just exudes you and your love. So help us to grow in that. Help the gospel to change us more and more, Lord. Help us not to ever get bored of that or think we know it all, Lord, but allow it on a daily basis just to transform our heart and our attitudes, Lord, so that we become more and more like you. That's our, that's our joy, Lord, to do that and our opportunity, and we want to do that. Help us, we pray. Amen.